0: the word for today featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Acts chapter 7 verse 8 as we follow along with today's lesson.
1: The Jews were always very proud of their ancestry. And and they talked in in very glowing ways of our fathers as though they were the most righteous men who ever lived. Stephen is going to burst that bubble. He's going to show them how that history declares that their fathers weren't the nicest guys in the world, that they had some serious problems And so uh, he speaks of the 12 sons of Jacob. The patriarchs were moved with envy and they sold Joseph, the next to the youngest son, into Egypt, but God was with him. Joseph was the first son of Rachel. Now, you remember the story of Jacob, how that uh, he had fled from his brother Esau who was threatening to kill him, came to his uncle Laban, fell in love with his cousin Rachel. He didn't have any dowry to give for her, so he went to his uncle and he said, hey, I love Rachel, I want to marry her. I don't have any, What, what can I give? And he says, well, Serve me for seven years, and you can have her as your wife. That's a deal. He was so much in love, the seven years just seemed like a moment of time. And so came the day for them to get married, and, and uh, they uh, went through the vows and so forth, and uh, they went into the nuptial tent, and in the morning, by the morning light, When he looked over to see his beautiful bride, it wasn't a beautiful bride. It was the ugly sister Leah. (laughs) Laban had pulled a switcheroo. That's why the tradition today when the father comes down is to lift the veil. Make sure you're getting the right, you know, merchandise. (laughs) Merchandise. And so, of course, Jacob went in with great consternation and Laban said, well, it's just the custom, you know, another seven years and you can have the other one. So uh, he said the custom is that the younger daughter can't get married before her older sister. So um, he worked another seven years. You remember the story? Well, there became a competition between the two daughters, but it wasn't much of competition because Rachel was barren. She couldn't bear children. And Leah seemed to be very prolific. And so they were vying, you know, and even bargaining for going to bed with Jacob. And uh, Leah seemed to bear a lot of children, and uh, Rachel couldn't have any. Uh, Then Rachel gave her handmaid that Jacob might have sons through her handmaid, and uh, Leah saw that that was working, so she gave her handmaid. I mean, real contest going. (laughs) Finally, Rachel had a son named him Joseph. And because Rachel was his first love, it became obvious to the 10 older brothers that Jacob's affection and love for Joseph was greater than his attention to them, and it created quite a jealousy. Then Jacob started having dreams. He said to his brothers, You know, I dreamed that we were all gathering our sheaves and making our sheaves, and, and, we set them there, and your sheaves all bowed down to my sheaf. Oh, that didn't set well with them. You runt, you think we're going to bow down to you. You know, you've got another guest coming, you know. And then he had another dream. I dreamed the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And even his dad got upset with that one a bit. He said, you mean your mother and father also? So, come on, what's going on here? But the brothers... Became so envious, they decided to kill him. And uh, so the, the older brother, Reuben, uh, said, let's not kill him. We don't want to get blood all over us. Let's just throw him in the pit and let him starve to death. And so they consented to that. But then as they were just sitting there... uh slave traders or, or traders came going to Egypt so they stopped and haggled with them and they sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver to these traders heading for Egypt that they might in turn sell him in the slave market in Egypt as Joseph was bound and being taken to Egypt he cried to his brothers he was weeping he was wailing don't do this, you know. Goodbye, kid, you know. See if we bow down to you. And so this deception, this uh, moved with envy, jealousy, horrible deed. They took his coat that his father had made him, and they killed one of these sheep, and they put the blood over it and took it back to Jacob and said, we found this bloody coat. Do you recognize it? And he said, oh, that's the coat of Joseph. Some wild beast has certainly devoured him. And and, and he mourned over the loss of his son Joseph, thinking that he was dead. Well, as the story goes, God was with him. (laughs) Even in those difficult circumstances of life that we don't understand, God is with us. The prophet said to King Asa, the Lord is with you while you will be with him. Now, not always do the circumstances of our life dictate that God is with us. There are times when it would seem that God has forsaken us, and surely that must have been the case with Joseph. Because not only did his brothers sell him to these traders going to Egypt. He was sold on the slave market in Egypt to one of the uh, head men, Potiphar, who was uh, one of the king's counselors. And then Potiphar's wife got a crush on him and tried to force him to go to bed with her. And when he steadfastly refused, hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. And so she cried rape and accused him of raping her. He was put in prison and was several years in prison. I mean, now this, you say, well, God is with you. Oh, man. Uh, hard to see, hard to See God in these circumstances and, and that's true with us So many times we're going through Very trying dark times And it's hard to see that God is with us And yet when you get the whole story You see yes indeed God was there directing all the time Our problem is that We're prone to judge In the midst of the mystery before we get to the final chapter and it is all, you know, uh, unsolved and resolved for us. We, We are prone to judge when we're in that interim period. God was with him. And he delivered him out of all of his afflictions, gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him the governor over Egypt and all of his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. Great affliction. Our fathers found no sustenance. When Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, the brothers of Joseph. The second time, now notice, the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren. Now, what Stephen is building up to and it is extremely uh, clever is that historically the Jews seemed to miss it the first time around. Joseph was ordained by God to be ruler over his brothers. The dream Your sheaves bowed down to mine. It upset them. They were determined that would not happen. We'll get rid of him. And so they sold him, thinking that's the end of Joseph, end of his dream. It'll never be. Now, when his brothers came down to Egypt, it was 17 years later. Joseph was no longer a young teenager. He had matured, probably had the Egyptian haircut. He spoke Egyptian. He did not speak to his brothers in Hebrew, but spoke through an interpreter and gave them a rough time. I mean, he was sort of getting even. Uh He said, you fellows are spies. You say you're all brothers. That's not true. You're spies. You come down to spy out the land of Egypt. You're with the CIA. I can recognize you. (laughs) And they protested, no, we are all the sons of the same father. And we have yet another brother at home, a younger brother. And one of our brothers is gone. And so Joseph said, no, you guys are spies. And the only way you can prove you're not spies is when you come back again, if you've got another younger brother, you better bring him with you or you won't see my face. I'll know you're spies. So uh, they went back and they said, Dad, that guy in Egypt is mean. I mean, he's tough. Boy, well, we, we were lucky to get out of there. But when they opened their sacks, they found Joseph had ordered the servants to put their money all back in their sacks. And they opened their sacks and saw their money. Oh, no. How did the money get? They're going to think we'd ripped them off. You know, and oh, they were really frightened. And so the famine continued and they were needing more supplies. And Jacob said, okay, guys, you have to go back. And they said, oh, no way. don't don't want to see that guy again. the only way we'll go back we'll take benjamin no you can't take benjamin you know he's you know my only son left from rachel i if, if he would die it would i would bring me down to the grave with grief no you can't well we're not going so finally they were running out of food and and they had to go and jacob said okay take him but you know And as they left, Jacob cried, all things are against me. That's because he didn't see the whole picture. He was only looking at at a part of the whole. And, And from his position, it looked like all things are working. But God was at work. He didn't know that. When the brothers came back with Benjamin, Joseph saw his full brother. Oh, he wanted to grab him and hug him, but he restrained himself. And so he invited them over to his quarters for dinner, and the servants had the whole thing all set out. And they were amazed that at the placards, Joseph had set them all according to their age around the table. That's weird. How did he know which one was the oldest? And they they, they were were amazed that he had set it out just in order of their age around the table. And uh, so um, Joseph then ordered the servants to fill their bags with grain, but to take the silverware and put it in the youngest fellow's sack. So when they sent them off, the guys headed down, all of their money was back in their sacks, but in Benjamin's sack was silverware from the table. So after they got down the road, Joseph sent the officers after them. And they said, why would you return evil for the good that our master's done for you? They said, what are you talking about? Well, you ripped off the silverware from the table. They said, no way we wouldn't do that. Well, we're going to search. And whoever's bag we find it in, uh, we're going to have to take him back. So they opened the bag, and here in Benjamin's bag was the silverware. And, they said, oh, Benjamin, what are you doing, you know, man? And so they, they, they said, well, we can't go home without it. And so we'll all come back. So they all came back. And they were standing there in the room. And they were talking in Hebrew to each other. Joseph was there. They were talking in Hebrew. That, you know, we're getting what we deserve. You remember how Joseph was crying, you know. And, man, uh, we didn't have any mercy on him. Remember that? We, should, You know, it, we're, we're getting, you know, guilt. It's interesting. Here it is years later, but, you know, it still goes back. It, it, it's something that doesn't go away easily. And Joseph heard him talking, and more than he can handle, he began to weep. He revealed himself, I'm Joseph, your brother, and they couldn't believe it. And then they were really frightened. <laughs> because of what they had done. But at the end, Joseph said, I know that you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. He saw the plan of God through the whole thing and could see the hand of God. Beautiful story. And so, the first time, they refused and rejected Joseph. We won't have him to rule over us. But the second time, it says they bowed down before him, and as they were all there bowing, doing their obeisance and all, he remembered the dream of the sheaves, them bowing down to his, and and he was reminded of that the second time. Here he is and recognized the ruler. So with Jesus, the first time he came, they said, we will not have this man to rule over us The builders rejected the stone. But the same has become the chief cornerstone. And when Jesus comes again, he will come to rule and to reign over the earth. And at his second coming, he will be received and recognized by the Jews. But here their fathers that they're always bragging about, they made the same mistake with Joseph. Now, there's an interesting little verse 14, uh, a side note that we should at least mention. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all of the family, threescore and 15 souls. Now, there are three different figures given concerning the numbers. In Genesis, it tells the sons of Jacob, who brought their sons and their families to Egypt with Jacob, and they numbered 66. But then there is another place where it says, and all of the descendants of uh, uh, Jacob or the family of Jacob were 70. So one number is 66, another is 70, and now here it's 75. 75. And so those who are looking, you know, searching the Bible to find mistakes, I mean, oh yes, sure we are, you know. <laughs> They're always pointing to these v- different numbers, but the solution is really quite simple. In Genesis, where it talks about the sixty-six souls, the descendants or the sons of Jacob with their sons, the sixty-six. Joseph was already in Egypt with his two sons, making 69, and Jacob himself made the 70. Now, here he is saying all of the kindred, that would then include the wives of his sons, the 11 wives, and so the 66 plus the 11 wives would give you 75, so, uh, the numbers are not really contradictory. It's just who you're counting and, uh, and, and at what stage you are counting them. Those that are coming with Jacob, the, the boys with their children. Now the 75 includes the 11 wives of the 66 who came down. So it, it all balances out, uh, when, uh, you, uh, just Take the trouble to Look a little deeper And Jacob went down to Egypt And there he died And of course he said You know I don't want to be buried in Egypt Take me back So they brought him back to Shechem To a parcel of ground That had been purchased by Abraham From the sons of Imar Of Shechem And uh When the time for the promise drew near, that God had sworn to Abraham that he would bring the people out with great substance, there arose another Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred. He evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. The pharaoh ordered the midwives, if it's a girl, save it alive. If it's a boy, kill it, of, of the Hebrew children that were being born. And the midwives, they honored God. I mean, they had a respect and fear of God, so they didn't obey the pharaoh. And so the pharaoh finally got angry. He said, brought him in and said, how come? You know, I told you to kill the boy babies. Why aren't you doing that? They said, well, those those Hebrew girls are different from... The Egyptian girls. I mean, they're, they're very lively. And I mean, they, they have their babies and they're up and gone before we can even get there, you know. And so uh, the Pharaoh then said, okay, if it's a boy, throw it in the river, you know, in the Nile River. So it was at this time that Moses was born. Verse 20. And was exceeding fair. In uh, Genesis, it said he was a goodly child which meant a very beautiful child. In fact, there are uh legends, stories of the beauty of Moses that when he would walk down the street, he was so handsome and all that people would just stop and stare. Uh and when his mother saw that he was such a beautiful child, uh she hid him for 3 months and then it was getting he was getting too big to hide, so she made this little uh basket out of uh, the bulrushes and she daubed it with the mud and, and then put the tar over it to make it waterproof and she set it afloat in the Nile River. And the Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe with her maidens and they heard the baby crying and she ordered her maiden to fetch the little baby from the reeds there and uh, she saw this beautiful little boy and fell in love with him and so she said, oh, one of the Hebrews has." you know, put their child here in the river, but it's going to be mine. And so she took Moses home and uh, he was raised in the courts of Egypt. Uh, he was there educated in the uh, schools of Egypt. And so verse 22, Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it came in his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Moses' life was divided into 40s 40 years old, becoming something, being trained, groomed in the schools of Egypt. The next 40 years, he was nothing just a shepherd out in the wilderness watching the sheep of his father-in-law. And then the following 40 years, God showing that he can take nothing and make something out of it, he became the great leader of the uh, people leading them out of their bondage in Egypt. So when he was a full 40 years old, he decided to go visit in the Hebrew camp And he saw one of them suffering wrong, and he defended him and avenged him. That was oppressed, and he smote the Egyptian. He killed him. And it says here, and this is interesting, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Moses thought, surely they know that God is going to use me to set them free. Surely they know this. But they didn't. So the next day, when he was out again, there were two Hebrews fighting with each other, and Moses went in to break it up. And he said, look, guys, you're brothers. You ought not to be fighting with each other. And so the one that Moses thrust aside said, you're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses, when he found out that his action of killing the Egyptian was known, knew that if word gets to the Pharaoh, he's in big trouble. So he fled from Egypt, went out into the desert area of Midian, and uh, there married the daughter of one of the priests out there uh, and um, became just a shepherd watching the sheep of his father Jethro for the next 40 years. Again, we read that he fled, saying that uh, at this saying, when he said, Were well, you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian, verse 29? And he was a stranger in the land of Medium, where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near and beheld it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not to behold. And then the Lord said unto him, Put your shoes off of your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then these beautiful words of the Lord, I have seen. I've seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. And I have heard, and I have their groaning, and I come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. I have seen the affliction. I've heard their groaning. I've come to deliver. Comforting words of the Lord. So oftentimes we we feel that God doesn't see. We feel that God doesn't hear our prayers. We've cried unto the Lord and it seems like nothing is happening. But God said, I have seen, I have heard, and best yet, I've come to deliver. So God sent Moses to be the deliverer. Moses, and then verse 35, this Moses whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge, the same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. So, again, the first time Moses came as their deliverer, began to act in the position of a deliverer. They refused him. They didn't know, they didn't recognize, this is God's deliverer. The second time he came, they did recognize he's been sent by God to deliver. Can you see the, the picture that, can you see what Stephen is doing you guys are just like your fathers. The first time God sends someone along, you don't recognize them. The second time around, you, you see, you, you recognize. And, and of course, he's, the whole background is, is Jesus. He was sent by God, but you, like your fathers, didn't recognize him, but he's gonna come again. And he will rule, he will reign. You've refused his reign, but he's gonna come to rule and reign and establish the kingdom of God the second time. So they're following the pattern of their fathers in their blindness to the first revelation of God's deliverance, but yet God will work his purposes and in God's time, Jesus will come again and will Be recognized and they that pierced him, uh, and they shall look upon him whom they pierced, it says. And, and so they will recognize, they will mourn for their folly that of of their rejection of him for so long. So Moses brought them out, verse 36, after he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea, And the wilderness for 40 years. Little interesting side note. (laughs) Moses was endeavoring to do what he knew God wanted him to do, deliver the people. But endeavoring to do it in the ability and the energy of his own flesh. And in the ability of his own flesh, he could not bury one Egyptian successfully. But when led and directed by God, he buried the whole army (laughs) in the Red Sea. And it shows, you know, yes, God called you to be a deliverer, but, you know, you try and do the work of God and the ability and the energy of your flesh, you're gonna fall on your face. But when guided and directed by the Spirit, it's amazing what God can do through such as us when we just yield and surrender ourselves to him. So this is that Moses which said to the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brothers like unto me, and him shall you hear. Like unto me, you didn't recognize me the first time. You refused me the first time. But now I've come to deliver and have brought you out of Egypt. This is when Moses is getting uh, towards the end of the road and uh, he's prophesying now of this, this uh, prophet that is going to come, like unto me and to him. And uh, un- and him shall you hear. Now, Moses gave the people the word of God. They said, "Hey, we don't want to go near that mountain. I mean, it was terrifying—the uh, fire, the thunder, the trumpet blast, the shaking. Oh, you go up, you talk to God, you come down and tell us what God says, and we'll we'll listen to you. But we don't want to hear that again. We don't want when that's too terrifying." So Moses went up and he would come down and tell them the word of God, give them the word of God. So he gave to them the Ten Commandments, gave to them the word of God. Now Moses is saying, there's going to come another prophet like unto me who will give to you the word of God. And so Jesus, when he came, said, the words that I say, I speak, I speak not of myself, but the Father. These are the words of God, Jesus is saying. And so the prophet like unto Moses, and to him shall you hear. This is he, that is Moses, who was in the church, that is, the word church means the called out ones. God called him out of Egypt. He was in the church in the wilderness. With the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the living word of God to give unto us, to whom our fathers did not obey. Now, you were bragging about your fathers, but look at your history. Your fathers didn't obey the word of God. They said to Moses, you tell us what God said. Well, listen, but they didn't. They did not obey the word of God. But they thrust him from them, and in their hearts, they turned back again to Egypt. They longed for Egypt. Remember, they lusted after the meat of Egypt. They said, we're sick of this manna. Tired of it. It's bland. No flavor. Oh, we only had some garlic and onions to mix with it. Oh, I'm so hungry for meat. I haven't bitten into a steak for so long. You know, And, and here they, they were just really murmuring and complaining over the angel food that God had given to them. (laughs) Tired of manna. Manna splits, manna cotti, manna, you know, just (laughs) tired of this stuff. And so they said to Aaron, make us gods that we might worship. As for Moses, we don't know what he was forty days up there in the mountain. They figured, hey, something's happened to him. We don't know what's happening to him. Make us gods. And so they made a calf in those days. They offered the these are your fathers, your glorious patriarchs that you're always bragging about. They made a calf in those days and they offered the sacrifice unto the idol and they rejoiced in the works of their own hands, the gods that they had made themselves. And it's always so. Man, you either have a man-made God or you have men being made by God. You have gods that have been created by man and you have men who have been created by God. And so they... God turned and gave them up to the worship of the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O oh, ye house of Israel, you've offered to me the slain beasts and the sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yes, but you took up the tabernacle of Molech, the god of pleasure, and the star of your god Ripham, figures which you made to worship them, the little idols And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. These people, their fathers turned away from God and they got into idolatry and they began to worship Molech, Ashtoreth, Baal, Mammon. And God said, I'm going to let you be carried away beyond Babylon as captives. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As he had appointed speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, they had this tabernacle, and the tabernacle, when God gave to him the specifications, God said, be you know be very exact, make it exactly like I've told you why because the tabernacle was a model of heaven uh, the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, surrounded by the cherubim. It was a model of heaven. These things were a type of the heavenlies. What's in heaven. And God gave them this tabernacle, the place where they could come and meet with God, where the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, where there was that Shekinah glory and presence of God. And they had that tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, In the tabernacle they had, of course, in the Holy of Holies, the little Ark of the Covenant, and in it the two tables of stone upon which God had engraved the Ten Commandments, this witness of God, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus. And as we have told you, Jesus is the Greek word for the Hebrew name Joshua. So Joshua led them into the promised land. And the Greek name is Jesus. So the name Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua. And the name Joshua in Hebrew means Jehovah is salvation. So uh, he, uh, the tabernacle was brought in with Joshua into the possession of the Gentiles, the land of Canaan occupied by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers in the days of David. David more or less completed the occupation of the land, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. That is, David, uh, he desired to build a temple for God. But Solomon built him a house. How be it? The Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet has said. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? (laughs) It's almost pathetically humorous when a person thinks that he's doing a great thing in giving to God. God said, hey, it all belongs to me anyhow. And we want to make so much over, well, I gave, uh, and God said, it all belongs to me. You build me a house to, to dwell? at. Listen, the heavens of heavens, and Solomon, when he built the house, he's, when he dedicated, he said, Lord, You know, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that we have built. We haven't built this really as to limit you to a place. We recognize that you are omnipresent. You're throughout the universe. We cannot escape you, but we want a place to come and meet with you. And so that's the purpose of this place, just that we might have a place to gather to meet with you. It is important, I think, for us to become aware and conscious of the presence of God wherever we are. I think that sometimes we give sort of a false impression, even in our prayers at the beginning of the service, oh, Lord, it's so good to gather tonight in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence this evening. Wait a minute. You've been in his presence all day long. When you were yelling at your kids, you were in his presence. (laughs) Telling them how stupid, you were in his presence then. David said, where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I descend into hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I flee to the othermost parts of the sea, even there I'm surrounded by you. So they had that awareness, that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. And we need that awareness too. The consciousness of the presence of God is one of the most important things for us as Christians to have. Lord, you are with me. You never leave me. I cannot escape your presence. You go with me. You go before me. You go behind me. I'm enveloped by your presence. So, God said, hath not my hand made all of these things? Now, Stephen has been pretty sharp. I mean, he's really very cleverly taken his time, went through their history and, and all, but suddenly, I don't know, maybe someone was starting to sleep or something and, He suddenly said, You stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. I mean, he was really getting now really ticked off with him and just, You stiff necked, uncircumcised in heart and in your ears, you don't hear. The things of the Spirit. You're not following after the Spirit. You're just as bad as your fathers. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Name one prophet that they received. And then look at the history. Read in Hebrews chapter 11 concerning the prophets. Some they stoned, others they imprisoned. Isaiah was sought in two. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain those which showed before the coming of Jesus, the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. I mean, you're even worse than them. They were all <laughs> prophesying of the coming of Jesus. They killed those prophets and persecuted those prophets that told of Jesus, but you killed Jesus. I mean, man, you're, you're worse off than your fathers. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels, but they didn't keep it. Now, when they heard these things, truth hurts. And they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on, they began to just, you know, I mean, just, ooh, I mean, they were really stirred up. But he, Stephen being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now Jesus said, henceforth you will not see me until you see me sitting at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen saw him standing. Someone has said that he stood always to receive the martyrs as they came into the kingdom. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened. He had this vision. He looked up and he saw Jesus standing there by the right hand of God. And he begins to share the vision. I see heavens open, and the Son of Man is standing on the right hand of God. They didn't want to hear it. They wouldn't hear it. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They began to scream, and they closed their ears. Don't want to know the truth. Don't want to hear the truth. And they ran upon him with one accord. They mobbed him. And they drug him out of the city. And there they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down And he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. Now, the Bible usually says fell asleep because what happens to the Christian is different than what happens to the sinner. And so to try to show the difference between, they usually say he went to sleep. Which... Endeavor is to show that they're not really dead. There's a transition that has taken place. Uh, They're still alive. Jesus said, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So it would be wrong to say that they died. Because if they lived and believed in Jesus, the promise is, You'll never die. The promise is, isn't that you're going to live forever in this body. Thank God. (laughs) Paul said, we'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. This corruption has to put on incorruption. This mortal has to put on immortality. Someday, if the Lord should tarry, You'll perhaps pick up the morning news and they will say, Chuck Smith, pastor of Calvary Chapel died last night. Don't believe it. <laughs> Typical reporting. It's wrong. They'll have to write if they're gonna write accurately. Chuck Smith moved last night out of an old worn out tent into a beautiful new mansion. a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the Bible tries to indicate what happens to the believer in contrast to what happens to the unbeliever when the spirit leaves the body. So it always makes reference to those that sleep in Christ. And and that isn't teaching soul sleep. It's only to give a... uh, a, a separation between the Christian and the non-believer when the Spirit departs. Saul. Now another character is introduced to us. He's a young man. He was watching the robes of those that were stoning Stephen, He was, and he was consenting unto Stephen's death, as we read in the very next verse. In Chapter Eight, and so we're gonna ha- we just have a short introduction of Saul here, and then we're gonna look at Philip, another one of the seven chosen to wait tables. Faithful in that, God uses him for a tremendous revival in Samaria, and then to go down and share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch who took the gospel back to Ethiopia. And there is a church in Ethiopia today that traces its roots to the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Last week, in the end of chapter 7, we were introduced to a young man by the name of Saul who was a participant in the stoning of Stephen in that he consented unto his death and he sort of watched the coats of the fellows who were stoning Stephen to death. They laid their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Again in the beginning of chapter 8, we again... Meet this young man, Saul.
0: We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on persecution, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Acts 7 when visiting the org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's one 9673 If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today PO box eight thousand Costa Mesa, California nine two six two eight. And now on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: Father, we thank you for the opportunities of learning more about you, of studying the Word and having this time, Lord, of just opening our hearts to you and the things of the Spirit. Lord, we look forward to that day when you shall come again, the day when you will be recognized by all as King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be faithful in the little things that you set before us. Content, Lord, to be just what you have called us to be and to do what you have required of us to do. Lord, may we be freed from self-ambition And with Paul, may our chief desire be to bring glory to you and to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
1: Have you ever had a friend who's not a believer and they ask you a question about the Bible and you're thrilled? Finally, they want to know about God, but then you go blank because you can't remember the scripture that would answer their very question. You're not alone. It happens to me all the time. And I think if only I had a quick scripture reference that would help me right then and there, that would be perfect. Well, guess what I found? Pastor Chuck's Old and New Testament study guides are available to download as ebooks instantly to your phone or mobile device. Now, whenever you need to find the meaning to a scripture reference quickly, you can. Pastor Chuck has written great little Bible commentaries to help anyone come to a better understanding of God's Word. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit the and click on the link to download the Old and New
0: Testament study guides by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order these books in print, call the Word for Today at 800 277 to 9673.